Hey folks, welcome to Seminary for the Rest of Us. I am your host, Sabrina Reyes-Peters. Today I am introducing to y'all episode 7, which is the second episode, second part rather, of the conversation that I had with Jay Potter. If you've listened to part 1, I know that you're dying to get to part 2, so I'm not going to take very long here. But if you haven't, go ahead and pause now and go back and listen to part one before you return. In the second part, we continue the dialogue by learning about new materialism, who some of Jay's eco-womanist and eco-feminist influences are. And by the way, if you're not sure what a womanist is, start with this small piece of knowledge. It was a term coined by Alice Walker, I believe, in either the late 1970s or early 1980s. And its simplest definition is a person of color, likely a woman, who is also a feminist. So, continuing on. Throughout the conversation here, we still keep in mind that our goal is to destabilize whiteness and we dabble in science to that end, or more specifically, audiological diffraction, which causes the listener to become destabilized and consider other perspectives. In our discussion on new materialism here, we want to make sure that you have a solid definition. So I'm going to give that to you right now to aid you in some context that uh, or some historical context that Jay will present. Here's the definition. New materialism is a way of considering the world from material that sees it as more than merely inert matter, which sees creativity and diversity as emergent properties of the universe. It is made up of a transdisciplinary assemblage of thinkers that confront dualisms in all forms both from scientism and religious dogmatism, in order to find fissures between that can develop a more whole view of the world as intraactive participants. And that is the end of the definition. But one last thing before I forget, I wanted to remind you to check out uh, the recommended resources because Um, Jay gives quite an extensive uh, list of resources from Twitter accounts uh, to papers and books, uh, online resources. So make sure to uh, click the link on the show notes if you're curious for more. And if you are interested in any of the sources but can't get them for any reason, let Jay know and he will help you. Here's episode 7. Yeah, because um, I don't know that I know exactly what new materialism 
Yeah. It's, and cool. you kind of like alluded to it a little bit, like, yeah. uh, you know, it has to do with like tangible, tangible things as opposed yeah. to uh, spiritual things, which you can't really um, touch or sense in any other way. So can you maybe explain that a little bit? Yes. Um, this is one of my favorite parts. So hopefully I won't <laughs> run on too long. Um, so the idea with new materialism um and for a moment, we'll suspend new and go back historically because it's a part of Western uh, tradition. So materialism, the idea of the material world. Um, I mean, you, you have people uh, talking about the material world going back for thousands of years. Um, you can go to what they call the pre- pre-Socratics, right? And some of them uh, were talking about, you know, the the monism or or dualism or uh, those those kinds of of options. And there's all sorts and um, right. And, and so there is there is essentially a history of that in in Western thought um, that goes back for a long time. Um, but the general the general kind of thrust with materialism really goes back to um, your what we call the masters of suspicion. Um, so uh, Marx, Feuerbach. Um, uh, why am I blanking out other names? Um, Nietzsche and Freud are kind of the tend to be the central um, people um, for for those. And uh, and so I, I kind of work with Marx and Feuerbach the most um, or have done okay. work with them the most. So the idea is is essentially like if you take, you know, a very like topical reading of, of say, Marx, like religion is an opiate of the masses. Um, the idea which people, you know, especially from uh, the Christian side will say, oh, this is this is a bad thing. He's just saying, you know, um, that we're just uh, we're just taking drugs essentially by by focusing on God. Um, and then and then Feuerbach, his idea is is uh, projection. Um, so and he was I think he was the one that coined the term uh, theology is anthropology. Um, and so the idea is that we project our best selves out into the universe, into ultimacy, and then reflect that back in scripture. Um, and, and then, and then we follow scripture, um, in, in whatever form. Uh, and he's primarily talking about Christianity and there's, there is one book where he tries to attempt to kind of wrap in some other religious aspects. And I don't think he really does a good job of it, but, um, so those are kind of the foundations, um, in a sense for new materialism and, and others, but those I think are kind of the more important ones. Um, and so what they're doing with materialism is they've essentially eradicated God. Whether God exists or not doesn't matter. It okay. we only have the the material realm to work with, um, and then and uh, and there's more of that. I'm sure that people will you know comment on this that I didn't cover this well, and that's not really the point. So that's why I, I don't want to too much. Um, and and so um, then you have uh, what I call the proto new materialists, which. Um, are often, uh, those are kind of like your mid, uh, 20th century. Um, and so that Deleuze is probably the most popular. Um, Whitehead is used sometimes, uh, oh, and by Deleuze, a lot of it is actually Deleuze and Guattari, uh, their books together, but then most people just say Deleuze. Um, and then, uh, a little bit of Whitehead, um, and then you have some, some other ones that get used a little bit, uh, Latour, um, and uh, Levinas, uh, Foucault, um, there's a bunch that kind of get used in different ways. Um, and, and really, so now then you take uh, some of those 
kind of mid mid you know uh, 20th century thinkers um, from the continental tradition. They then had students in you know the 80s um, that that were starting to work with their ideas, but then sort of in in, in most cases feminized them uh, or or and I don't mean that in the sense of like putting on makeup, but um, not that that can't be a part of it, um, but that uh, it was feminist using say Foucault or using Deleuze and and kind of uh retranslating that for new context um and and so then you get to the early or very late 80s early 90s um and karen malibu is that her right first name um i think so uh that's bad of me um coined the term neo-materialism and about the same time um another person who i'm blanking on at the moment um also used the term neo-materialism and then uh, shortly thereafter, it kind of started taking traction uh, when Malibu's first full book came out um, and she was working with like plasticity of the mind uh, and how that relates to the material and how we kind of produce material because of the plasticity of our mind. So it started kind of working with a different way of thinking about the material world. Um, mm-hmm. Now, that then brings us to, you know, generally the 90s and um, and then it kind of uh, a whole bunch of people essentially start taking that up in the early, early 2000s um, and 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 becomes essentially what we now call new materialism. Um, and the so now the idea is we're coming from the material world. It's what we have. It's what we know. But rather than only critiquing religion, like is generally assumed of the masters of suspicion that I mentioned, but we're also bringing in um, a a critique of science and and scientism is usually the word or science's ideology. Um, and the idea with that is um, and from the the feminists primarily. So you've got uh, Malibu does it a little bit, and then Karen Barad and Donna Haraway, or, or Donna Haraway and Karen Barad being the kind of primary two, and they're the two I use in my dissertation the most. Um, okay. They were then critiquing science as as masculine um, and how the objectivity of, quote, Western science always subverts the other. And often that other is female. Um, And it is always those who are not European or not American and essentially not Hmm. white. Um, And and they don't necessarily always draw out the race uh, concept. Um, it's sort of underlying, I think, a lot, especially of Karen Broad's work. Um, and, and then some people have kind of pushed her further on that. Um, and, and I think that she's kind of come to embrace that a little bit more in her re- more recent work. Um, but I found that really fascinating that someone like Karen Barad, who is actually a particle physicist, that's what her PhD is in. Um, oh, okay. and what she taught, yeah, what she taught for many years and her dissertation for her PhD was on um, Borean quantum physics, so from from uh, Bohr, and and some of the ideas that Bohr started working with in the 20s, you know, or, or earlier, really, um, and and kind of the uh, quantum entanglement ideas, and and there's some you know more specific things with that that are are fun, but not necessarily for something like this. Um, and uh, and so Bohr was starting to bring in the idea of the apparatus that tells you 
the the results essentially um and so the idea being and this is actually getting to the quantum entanglement or the the audio audiological diffraction too um i was gonna ask the, that <laughs> yeah we're getting there i know we're kind of over the time but we're um it's and okay. <laughs> so the idea the idea that Bohr was working with is it's not that there is a fundamental dichotomy between the idea of light being a particle and light being a wave, but the the dichotomy is the tool for measurement. And so if you're measuring light to be a wave, it will be a wave. And if you're measuring light to be a particle, it'll be a particle. So you'll never find by using particle physics, physics, you'll never find it to be a wave. And if you're using wave-based physics, you'll never find it to be a particle. But you can use those different apparatus to find out the properties of light working in either of those functions. Um, and, and so is there actually fundamentally something beyond that or behind it uh, that that is kind of larger than either a particle or a wave. Um, and, and this is kind of the fundamental basics be behind uh, quantum physics and quantum entanglement. Um, and, and he had some disagreements with Einstein and with some other people. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I think some of that's fascinating just looking back at history. So what Karen Barad was doing is she was taking that and saying, is there is there also parts of science, not just that an apparatus is looking at these different entanglements, um, but how? And so she used the the idea of diffraction, light diffraction, um, and and uh, and and this is in particle physics, um, and how if you do this like a slit experiment, they call it, um, you you actually you don't get just dots straight across from the slit, but you actually get dots in places where there should have been shadow. Uh, and dots being where light particles um, hit the the um, measuring apparatus. Um, excuse me. And um, and so this is the idea of um, uh, energy diffraction or light diffraction um, is is that you actually get then light hitting where there should be dark, where there should be shadow, and you also conversely get shadow in places where there should be light, which I think is there's a lot of I think. A lot of uh, beauty in in that idea of thinking, kind of crossing the ideas of of light and darkness, um, especially if you can um, release that from uh, the racism of light and darkness, um, which yes. has a lot of its own baggage. Um, yeah, yeah, um, and uh, um, so then Karen Barad does does this whole thing with um, diffractive light properties in her book, Meeting the Universe Halfway. Um, and so she's drawing out some ideas with uh, classism and feminism and and looking at um, epistemologies being um, situated uh, and, and localized. And situated is also where um, uh, Donna Haraway's work from a little bit before uh, doing situated knowledges um, comes from. And, and so then, sort of combining those ideas, we don't just have situated knowledges, say, as being a woman, but we have situated knowledges being a woman of a certain class in North America um, and right. of being a certain race, right? Um, and, the, and that that actually um, brings out fractures, but in a good way, right? That we can learn from a multiplicity of places and 
in 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 Karen Barad's work and and in mine that science becomes one of those. What Western science becomes one of many rather than the ultimate end. Um, right. And and I, I think that's really important because a lot of people read Haraway and Barad and go, oh, they hate science. And it's, eh, I don't think they hate it because, well, especially for Karen Barad, she was literally a scientist, like doing science. And she was applying mm-hmm, yeah. these <laughs> concepts to her particle physics. Um, and it wasn't until after, I don't know how many years, 10 or 15 years of teaching physics, that she started integrating these ideas uh, into teaching uh, in the humanities and and philosophy, which is primarily where all of her books have been. Um, and I love those kind of connections and and um, sort of trans uh, transcending, in a sense, the different uh, divisions that we we create on academic knowledge, um, which is exactly what I'm doing with the dissertation. So um, so that's a fairly good segue. Can we go into the audiological diffraction? Um, yes, I would like to go into that, but I was also curious, um, and I think you touched on this a little bit, is yeah. um, you also draw on uh, some ecofeminism and some eco-womanism. And so yes. um, you talked about kind of the feminization, I think that's the right word, of science. Yeah. Um, was there anything else beyond that? Um, so as far as the ecofeminism and eco-womanism, I um, I actually did a qualifying exam using a lot of the content from that, um, which is where it kind of came into my dissertation. And I'm actually using it more methodologically. Okay. Um, so I'm not necessarily, I do quote uh, ecofeminists and I quote womanists, uh, two womanist theologians. Um, unfortunately, the eco-womanist is Melanie Harris, and I, and I don't, sorry, that sounded bad to be unfortunate her. Her work is amazing, and if anyone is listening and is interested in anything I'm talking about, please go read Melanie Harris's book, literally called Eco-Womanism. Uh, and I and, can second that, uh, just yeah. from the tiny bits and pieces uh, I read last year. <laughs> oh, yes, it's so good. I love it, um, especially for a kind of thinking newly through Christianity um, and considering, you know, uh, listening to other other religious perspectives. Um, I find her work really amazing. Um, so and so the unfortunate part was that it what what she's written in her book didn't really fit with what I was getting at, but it okay. did methodologically. It was it was helping me to reframe these ideas of white epistemology, of white knowledge. Um, that makes sense. which is yeah. yeah, which is worked out in these two ways of science's ideology and also of the constriction of knowledge from like Western Christianity. Um, and which is also the bifurcations that new materialism is trying to split between um, and, and say, is there something actually happening in between pure science in quotes and pure, you know, um, kind of ideology of, of a religious dogmatism or something. Um, and so I found those kinds of methodological similarities, even when their content was different. Um, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. And, and I yeah, think that, that, makes that's sense the, to me. that, yeah, that's the beauty of their content being different. Um, it is in these kind of pluralities of knowledges rather than trying to always subsume it back to one, because that is the replication of whiteness whenever you're trying to subsume knowledges back into one. Um, and so, so that's where I saw commonalities between ecofeminists 
eco-womanist or or womanist more broadly and and with new materialism and then use those as um as methods for how i'm reading and how i'm writing and and how i'm considering all of these different things um so i do use um and i just blanked on them now uh val plumwood and oh carolyn merchant are the eco-feminists that i use um and then i'm using um oh man the womanists were oh black lives matter book no not um well it has to do with that um i'm trying to look on my shelves now because i've completely blanked on their names um (laughs) oh what is it it's about um it's about stand your ground. In fact, I think the title is Stand Your Ground. Oh, well, wait, something. maybe I know this. It's like, uh, a, is it Kelly, Kelly Brown Douglas or something yes, like that? Or, yes, okay. Douglas, yeah. yes. Um, thank you. And, and uh-huh. uh, I actually follow um, her. I, I, I essentially, in the dissertation, I'm using her kind of history of whiteness, of creating um, the United States and then how that has functioned through um, the ideas of standard ground and, and building laws and stuff that that are grounded in whiteness. Um, I, I use that history and and idea is actually kind of the foundation to the critiques um, elsewhere. And then how uh, you know what are these kind of ideas? That, how do we move forward? Um, and so then from theology and um, oh man, care uh, day. Carrie Day? I think it's Carrie Day. Ah, somebody can correct me later. Um, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's Carrie. It, I don't think it's Karen. I think it's Carrie Day. Uh, wrote a really good book um, doing a similar kind of thing, but specifically to uh, economics and how that has um, systematically oppressed Black women um, in sort of the intricacies of uh, intersectional kind of oppressions right um Mm -hmm. and and her her kind of examination and critique of of the western economic model was really also very foundational for for my thought um even from years ago um i took a class with um uh, dr monica coleman on eco or on womanism and and this really changed my outlook on a lot of these kind of concepts um and helped reframe where i was going so um Yes. So those are sort of sources and methods. Um, awesome. And those, those four women are are the kind of main um, interlocutors in my first chapter um, and really kind of set the, the stage for then listening to these other these other traditions. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, I appreciate that that background. Um, so we can get into audiological a diffraction um if you want because i because i never actually heard of it and i know you started to go into it a little bit because you're talking about uh karen broad and like yeah. uh particle uh, physics and stuff like yeah. that so yeah. uh real quick why don't you get into that a little bit okay so what i do um so karen broad i use the idea with diffraction um in the chapter of new materialism um she's kind of one of the main um, people in the epistemology section for that, her and Haraway. And, and she uses this idea of 
uh, particle diffraction um, in physics and and you know does like a whole thing and, and it's wonderful i love the way that she's doing that um to kind of help you help you think differently about um physics and and kind of the ways that we approach these things and about quantum entanglements and how you know we should be learning from various forms of knowledge um and and she uses the idea which i mentioned earlier on uh intraactive agents um and and that's really important for the for her concept of of diffraction um now, excuse me. Um, so then I take that idea in my final chapter, um, my conclusion, which is audiological diffraction. Um, and, and I, and I'm twisting that idea, um, towards, towards listening because the title and intent of my entire dissertation is to listen to others, to listen right. <laughs> to voices outside of the the white westernized world is is the phrase I use, um, and it, and the listening is really important, um, and and I juxtapose a little bit between listening and hearing. So I consider hearing being that you happen like your eardrum moves at a certain rate based on hearing something, right? A car driving by or rain outside, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, but it's not really affecting you. It doesn't do anything. In, in most cases, um, sometimes when I hear cars drive by, it does affect me when they're really loud and obnoxious. Um, anyway, uh, but so the idea with listening is what what how is what we hear affecting ourselves and affecting what we do with that as knowledge? Uh, how is how is that knowledge then practiced? Right. Um, and and uh, I think in a really simple way, I say this to my to my five year old son, I'll say, listen listen to me right not just hear mm -hmm. that i'm saying something you know um anyway so so then i wanted to turn that idea of diffraction towards listening and and so um using the idea of wavelengths actually hitting our ears in different ways um and and we have the unique ability to have uh, ears that are on both sides of our head right where our eyes even though we have two eyes they all look forward um, and, and visual things like being able to look at physical diffraction, um, in, in a photograph is that you have a photo of it and now it's permanent, right? You can pass that around. Um, it can be printed out. It can be put online. Like it's very visual. It's very obvious. Right. Um, and this is also something I'm doing, uh, kind of underlying is, is twisting the idea from the visual to the, to the sound, to audiological. Um, and, and so what happens with with audiological diffraction as a property of sound waves that actually hit our ears differently. And you can create, you can force sound to be, to hit our ears differently. So if you're wearing headphones or something like that, um, you know, it's been balanced so that, that the sound hits you equally in the left and right. If you're listening to music that has been mixed very well, you'll, you might hear differences in your left and right ear. Um, you know, whether it's like reverb on, on a guitar or the snare only hits in the left or things like that. Um, the, but those are, those are performed. It's made that way, right? It's, it's, it's engineered to be that way, but you can also sure. engineer. Yeah. yeah. You can also engineer this, this sound diffraction. Um, and there's different ways to do that. You can, you know, if you're in a room, um, you can point speakers at different objects so that then when the sound waves hit, like a wall and a foam thing, they'll re they'll reflect back to you or defract back to you differently, and they'll sound different. Um, 
and and you can also switch the polarity so um if you have a way on your on your speakers to like switch the left and the right or the positive and negative um then you can actually have one speaker with the correct polarity and one speaker with the wrong polarity and if you listen to both of them like have them point at your ears then you'll be disoriented and and it sounds really weird and you're like I feel like I maybe have a headache, but it's it's not a normal, like I can point at my head hurting. It's a really weird phenomenon, but it can literally only be heard. You can't, you can't then replicate it. You can't, um, I mean, you can in a sense with recording, but it's very specific how you can get that with recording um, and then how it's replayed. Um, you know, computers, speakers, you're not going to hear it. Even your, your like I, I, iPod, um, or iPhone speak, you know, headphones, like probably not going to hear it that well. Like you need really good quality headphones or speakers to, to get the idea. Um, but it's, it's really difficult to record. Um, and, and so the idea is that you literally have to be situated. Like you literally have to be standing or sitting somewhere, right? So you're planted in the ground and speakers, the sound, the reflections and diffractions are hitting your body, your physical body differently. And, and it is disorienting. It destabilizes yourself and actually plays with your inner ear. And you, you might think that you're literally falling over, even if you're standing totally still, if it's hmm. done really well. Um, and, and I think that that's really a, a beautiful audiological image, right? For decentering whiteness, for destabilizing whiteness um and that's that's how i use it then in the conclusion of my dissertation is as we're listening with the earth as we're listening with these various uh people groups like the navajo and, and jane and and kind of what what we call the transversal reading from, from new materialism um those all of these are destabilizing whiteness in some way if we're willing to listen right not just hearing it if we're willing to listen to these ideas then they're gonna put us off off base um and so the idea then is as we're destabilized by listening and taking into our persons into our physical bodies what these different ways of living mean for them and how it should reshape us it's not to copy them because that's that's replicating whiteness is is to appropriate mm -hmm. something else. I'm not saying appropriate them. I'm saying how is their life way actually changing our physical bodies and how we relate to the earth and to others, whether those are human others or not. Um, and and so um, I think that those three traditions in different ways then kind of destabilize whiteness. And 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 so I'm using that the concept of of audiological diffraction to destabilize whiteness. And, and in the in the dissertation, I say, and from this, if we're really listening, then we're we're destabilized and we're forced to sit down and relax and listen and pay attention. And that then changes our actions or should change our actions if we're really listening. Um, and so the destabilizing of whiteness actually, in my opinion, is then stabilizing us with the earth and helping us to rethink with and through the earth, right? An eco epistemology. Yeah, that, that's a really beautiful image when you sit and think about it and kind of visualize it. And so yeah, how, sure. like... How do you hope that your work with your uh, dissertation will um, 
destabilize or help people dismantle? Like, what kind of impact do you hope that your work will have on others who come across it? Yeah, well, I hope that it can dismantle whiteness. Um, but I also know that that's not really going to happen with the dissertation. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> we always have we always have really big hopes for our things we do, right? Um, yeah. So, what really for me this this writing this dissertation is grounding what I will be doing in the future, and I I in my opinion will always have to come back in some way to to what I'm doing in 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 this dissertation. Um, and I've always seen dissertations as being foundational to our work in in the academy. Um, mm -hmm. I know some people don't. I think that it's really important, especially as attempting to embody myself, my history, the land that I live on, the relationships um, from the Navajo, we say, you know, I've come to say our web of relations. Um, and so with that in mind, I hope that when others read my dissertation, and, and if they're listening, they're, they're listening to these traditions, and I'm, uh, I'm the conduit, right? I'm, I'm hoping to be the speakers um, that, that are passing along these concepts um, that then can destabilize whiteness in other contexts, in other, other human bodies, other communities. Um, and that's what I hope to do in when I'm teaching in my classroom. It's what I hope to do, you know, as hopefully if I'm allowed to publish books in the future, um, and by allowed, I mean, you know, publishers wanting them. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and yeah. Um, and those, those things, like, I hope that I can participate in the world as um, an amplifier for um, these ways of thinking about the world, excuse me, of thinking about the world differently. Um, I, I think that's really important. And it's really, it's not about me and what change I am going to make. Um, I mean, I mean, I'll make change. I do. And I'm, and I'm hoping to continue making changes in my own life, but I, I, I'm not necessarily writing this to say like, oh, come listen to what quote Jay Potter is saying about these things. Right. Yes. It, you know, it's, it's about listening to others and, and especially in the white Western world, I don't know how many times I would look up, you know, epistemology, comparative epistemology between you know x and y right and it was always something from the west and something from not the west whether that was native americans or or navajo specifically or any of the hindu traditions or any of the buddhist traditions it's always a comparison to say how do these from not the western world from outside of the western world how do they fit with our views of the world because quote our views are already correct um, and I'm coming with the intent that that is wrong, that our views are not already correct. They might be partially correct, and they're one of a multiplicity of views. And so if I can do a part in the academy, like, say, in, in teaching in my class, if I can always be amplifying other voices, right? The voices are speaking. They're not silent. The voices are there. Um, it, it's that we're, we're blocking them out actively by mm -hmm. participating in the systems of whiteness. Um, and so, you know, um, if that means on even a surface level, I'm like retweeting um, what other people are saying. To me, that's just as important as writing my own little tweet, right? It, it, on just like a really basic level. Um, and then, and then say like in my classroom, I teach religion and ecology at Loyola Marymount, and um, 
I specifically choose books that, uh, that to the best of my ability, because we only get so much, um, that are amplifying those other voices, right? The, the voices from outside of the white westernized world. Um, and, and so I have um, a big anthology and it's written by all sorts of people rather than the really condensed, like simplified versions that are written by one or two white people. Um, and not that that means that it's like a perfect way. I've actually been thinking about trying to reach out to people to, to do a, a different volume and do it a very different way. Um, but again, that uh, it's participating in amplifying voices that are already speaking. And I think that that's probably the most important part. Um, for me in the academy, my job um, and, and books that I'll write and things like that. And I hope that that then can sort of rupture the eco chamber of whiteness. Um, and I play on that term eco chamber against eco epistemology um, is that that we need to be outside of those walls of whiteness, whatever, if, if that's in a business job that someone has or if that's in their work at a school like mine or um, or whatever, you know, any of the options. Um, how, how are we how are we kind of listening to those diffractive voices and then and then re-embodying them differently? Um, yeah. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it does. And I like uh, the couple of like those metaphors that you use, like uh, amplifier. I think of like passing the mic uh, so yeah. that you're in the background and not in the foreground anymore. Um, a conduit, I think, is also a good visual. And I this is honestly uh, refreshing. I mean, I haven't talked to... Um, many white men about their dissertations uh before but it does yeah. there does seem to be like this air of like oh like i reached my pinnacle like i i i know like i really know this stuff and like right. you know what else is out there like right come at me <laughs> like yeah i'm an yeah. expert like so right. yeah so it's just like really really refreshing awesome. like to hear that you just want to keep learning and to like keep passing the mic that's awesome um so if people want to dialogue with you about your work uh would you welcome that and if so where can they find you or how can they find you yeah absolutely i i really wish i had more uh venues to to share um what i think and again it's because of this idea of amplifying others um and not just that I'm like the, you know, just like you said about hearing from other people's, especially white men dissertations. It's like, you know, there's a point where I, yeah, I am an expert. Like I've been studying this for a long time, but that's not my point. My point in expertise is, is where is the, where are these beautiful knowledges coming from and how can we share them with others? Um, so in that regard, Twitter is probably the best place um, at the moment. Um, I, generally check every day sometimes i don't for my own mental health um but i love interacting with people that way i do have a blog that i have not written in probably over two years um i started <laughs> i know how that I, is <laughs> yeah i've actually started multiple blogs and this most recent one was supposed to be about my dissertation and like what i was studying in quals and i think i had some really interesting things um and it came to a point where i i couldn't keep it up um and so uh, I would like, I, I, you know, in air quotes, would like to be able to start getting back to doing that again um, and, and kind of playing with some of these ideas. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, honestly, that's kind of all I have right now. 
so much of my time has been focused on writing my dissertation and or caring you know for and with my family um that those have been the primary foci um for me but i i would especially now um i will fingers crossed be um graduating in a month and a half or two months um (laughs) yeah uh, my dissertation is actually with a copy editor right now, so I'm really hoping that they get back to me because it's due on Wednesday. Um, like this coming half. Wednesday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's like final, 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 final version. <laughs> I've turned in so many versions, I don't even know how many finals it has. Um, but uh, yeah, so if that passes the, and at this point it's like passing, you know, whether my my citing my sources is right is like where we're at um and uh then i will be graduating probably virtually since i don't think we'll have any um actual celebrations um you know because of the whole pandemic thing uh which is is one of those like oh it's really sucks that i won't be graduating or you know walking but also i won't you know the health and safety of all humans and and other than humans alike so um Anyway, um, yeah, those are the best places. Uh, I will eventually start getting back to my blog. Um, I've toyed around with doing a podcast actually really similar to yours, um, but I also didn't want it to be the focus to be on purely what like me, white man was saying. Um, and so I've kind of withheld myself from doing that. So um, yeah. I'm probably well, that's ready. all good. Um, I will stick your Twitter handle then in the show notes and people can uh, talk to you there if yeah. they want to. Um, but yeah, this has been really, this has been really great. Um, cool. Thanks again for coming yeah. on and uh, maybe we will talk again sometime. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, that would be, ab- that would be, that would be awesome. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Seminary for the Rest of Us, a show where everyone is welcome to God Talk. Find us on the web at seminary.show, on Twitter at seminaryshow, and or send us an email at seminary.show at gmail.com. Oh, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, don't forget to give us a rating. Thanks again and catch you next time.